Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Matthew Collar here. We're talking Vikings football five days a week on Purple Daily, available on Apple, Spotify, and the Score North app, or wherever you find your podcasts. And look, if you're tight on time right now and you can only listen to one segment from today's show, here it is. I can't make that throw if I don't get the edge and then have the time to set up. Um, so you need people you know, doing their job and, and, and then a system that's giving you a chance to, to, to do your job. And, um, and when the run game works, it also helps because they have to honor that. You know? And so they have to chase after the run and get a chance to boot, boot out the back door. So all that comes together to, uh, to help. But at the end of the day, I think just getting outside the pocket and throwing the football is kind of what you've done since first grade. So at that point, you're just operating off instincts and, and letting it come naturally. That was Minnesota Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins there answering a question of mine about rolling to his left and making plays on the run. Uh, Jonathan working on getting Gus Farratt for us in a minute here. But uh, I wrote about this today, Sage. Tell me if this surprises you that Kirk Cousins is number one in the NFL in yards per attempt, according to Pro Football Focus, in rolling to his left and making plays down the field. Number one yards per attempt. Well, it's interesting you say that. When I played in this system, uh, Kubiak actually said to me one time, and, and I think he believes this, that you know, there's this general history when you think about quarterbacks rolling, that rolling to your right is easier. Uh, but you know, Kubiak would say, you know, when you roll to your left, you do a good job of getting your shoulders around, and you actually get more juice on the ball, and hmm. you would work on it so much. That actually, yeah, you actually can in some ways get more juice on the ball when you're rolling to your left, your left because you flip your shoulders so much that creates this whip when you throw the ball when you actually let the whole thing go because your whole body is wanting to bring it. You know, it's like it's like throwing off a mound, and uh, and it, it, I was a you know probably more accurate thrower to my left sometimes than uh, to my right, and so that that, that does not surprise me that uh, you know Kirk is having success, but it is interesting by the way. That Kirk is, you know, we're talking about, you know, I don't know, one of the bottom five athlete quarterbacks in the NFL that's starting. Yeah. Making play. I mean, that throw to Thielen was was great, great throw. I went back and watched that last night on the coach's tape. That was a great throw. Uh, and, you know, Peyton Manning, could I don't know if could have really made that throw because he was not a guy who threw well on the run at all. But when you're in the system, you do so much of it in practice and, and learn how to, you know, sometimes pull up and, and let one go real deep or throw on the run or, uh, you know, different things, and you become really good at it. But it, it does, what, what I think what he was talking about, and I'm guessing that's a, sort of a message from Stefanski, is that they're starting to hit those details. And I could see some of those details were a little off early in the year. There were some tight ends stuff they're doing on some of those bootlegs that wasn't to me what a 
uh, you know, Owen Daniels or, or Joel Dreesen would have done back in the day when I was playing with them. And I think, uh, you know, Brian Periani coached those guys up and it's gotten, uh, those, you know, those little details are better there and some other positions probably with the O line. But, you know, you have to do it in real, game you know situations and you have to a lot of times learn from those mistakes and it seems like uh you know this bootleg game is you know one of the best things vikings do and then just in general that all the we've talked about all this play action stuff but was Kirk cousins the highest yards per uh, attempt or per completion or attempt on play action this year or something like that yeah he's any, uh, top in in rating NFL? yep top in rating on play action top rating on play action he was one i think golf was two and Aaron Rodgers was like four or something like that, which is interesting because those guys all come from the same style of offense. Matt LaFleur, Sean McVay, Gary Kubiak, and now Stefanski. It's a very similar style of offense, and there's big yards to be had uh, in that play action and boot game. All right. Well, that was extremely detailed, but if you want more on it, uh, I wrote about Kirk Cousins rolling to his left, and I made a Derek Zoolander mention in the article at scorenorth.com. So now we are ready to bring in another. Another uh, journeyman. We've got a journeyman party going on here. Very similar to when we had uh, Brooks Bollinger. Gus Ferrat now joining the show. What's going on, Gus? How are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Oh, we're doing great, man. I know Sage is extremely excited. He texted me that he has all sorts of questions, but I have to ask you, Gus, was Sage Rosenfels a good teammate? He was. Sage, Sage was great because if you didn't know the answer, Sage always knew it. <laughs> And he just proved on the radio. Whether it was right or wrong, whether it was right or wrong. That's a good addition. <laughs> well, Gus, it's uh, it's great to hear. From, I, I was saying to Matt that you and I could probably talk for hours on end, and uh, it, it's great to have you on the show. And I'm going back, of course, looking at your your long career. And, uh, you know, we, we, we talk about journeyman quarterbacks on this show all the time. We actually do a segment on Wednesdays of which we bring up one of the, one of the many journeyman quarterbacks from the opposing team that the Vikings are about to play. Uh, and then Kyle and I each sort of do a deep dive or a Wikipedia style slash stat style deep dive into their careers. And, and your name obviously comes, comes up. A guy who bounced around. Like we have certain criteria. Usually it's four or more teams that you're on. And then there's like bonus points for second stint, uh, which you have. Yep. Uh, a second stint. And, but all the stories that come with it, you know, with different franchises, different owners, you know, coaches, all the players, uh, players you like, players you didn't like. And, and, uh, I'm sure you've got a million stories. Uh, that that uh, and, and we have a lot of overlap, of course. Uh, you know, playing in Miami together under Nick Saban, under Jason Garrett as our quarterbacks coach, and Scott Linehan as our coordinator. We had Ricky Williams on that team, and and I'm sure we could talk about all sorts of things. So, uh, how is uh, post journeyman quarterback life treating you? Well, it's it's interesting because I did coach for a while. I coached high school, and then tried to go into the pros, and you know, there was no coach that really wanted a 46-year-old ex-quarterback who played for 15 years to come in and just sit there and not say anything. Um, you know, they knew that if I came in there, I was going to speak my mind and speak my piece, and that probably was one of the reasons I played for seven teams because, you know, if you know it and you see it, you got to say it. And and um, I was always like that. Uh, but, uh, you know, the transition has been great. Now I'm kind of finding more in my lane. I've, I've started a new podcast. Uh, called Huddle Up with Gus, where I've been doing some incredible interviews. I just interviewed Mike Silver, which is oh. supposed to be like a 45-minute podcast, but it went like an hour and a half. So you know Silver very well, Sage, and, and um, he's just a great – he was a great interview. So 
um, I do a lot of that now, and it's been a lot of fun, and um, just trying to, you know, keep building my my brand a little bit. But the transition has been tough. Everything everybody goes through that, and uh, you know, it's it's been an interesting uh, road since I left the NFL. And and you are currently living in St. Louis. Is that is that correct? No, I live in Pittsburgh. I live in Pittsburgh. oh in Pittsburgh. Uh, my daughter. Yeah, my daughter graduated from St. Louis High School with Ezekiel and Foye, and um, who Ezekiel plays for the Cowboys, and Foye Lucon plays for the Falcons. And so when they all graduated and I was coaching there, I said, well, it's probably a good time to leave because I'm not really going to have anybody else coming through this high school in a bit. And, and they, they really they have had a few, but my daughter went back to Philadelphia to school, and, and so we moved back to Pittsburgh, my wife and I, and, and we've been here ever since. And so um, everybody's in college, and we've been empty nesters, and – and kind of enjoying that side of it. Well, now you have a chance to look back and you, know, you see some of the coaching that you had over the course of your career. You know, one of your stops was in Denver uh, in 2000, 2001. You had a chance to be a part of that, uh, you know, Gary Kubiak, Mike Shanahan, Alex Gig, uh, Gibbs uh, system early on. Uh, that zone scheme, that bootleg scheme. You know, the Vikings obviously have Kubiak as a consultant, sort of, you know, maybe sort of an assistant coordinator to, to a young Kevin Stefanski uh, as one of the coaches. They're running that system. Kirk Cousins has really gotten hot in the last three weeks. What are your memories of that zone scheme, uh, the play-action bootleg stuff? What are your best memories in, uh, of that? Well, your play-action and, and all that that you guys have been talking about with Kirk, it's not going to work unless – you got a great line and a good running back. And uh, you know, when we were in Denver uh, with with Alex Gibbs there coaching that line, and and it didn't matter who we plugged in there at running back, they were going to be good. And uh, you know, from Mike Anderson to Terrell Davis to Orlando Gary, everybody in Denver seemed to you know really make it. And uh, you know, that line just did such an outstanding job the way that that um, Coach Gibbs coached it. Now in in Minnesota, you have a lot of that Denver carryover with Coobs and Periani and and um, uh, what's the line coach's name? I can't remember. Rick Dennis. Um, Rick Dennis, right. And, you know, they understand that, and I think you're seeing that with the explosion of, uh, of your running back, uh, Delvin, up there, and, uh, you know, what Kirk is doing with the play action and tight ends. I mean, the tight ends, to me, were always the key for that offense. Uh, I agree. Whether they were blocking or getting out downfield or, or creating. I mean, you think about some of the great – tight ends that came out of Denver, uh, you know, and, and it just, the tight ends were always the key because if you didn't have one that couldn't block, then your run game wasn't going to be good. If you didn't want to have one that, you know, couldn't go out and, and, you know, run those corner routes and some of those posts and, and, uh, really be wise in the past game, then you weren't going to have success. And so I think you got a great mix in Minnesota right now with all of that. And, uh, I think it was really smart of, of uh, them to bring in Kubiak and Periani to really get to the nuts and bolts of, of why that offense is successful. And uh, Irv Smith has played a big role as a second-round tight end. It's not an easy thing to do to step right in and, and play a significant role where you have to block and go down the field as well. But he's done that and kind of been, uh, I think, a linchpin to what makes it work. We're talking with uh, Gus Farad here, Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels. So uh, tell me, Gus, We've been talking a lot about how the Vikings have played some pretty easy defenses, defenses that were not super special in these last couple of weeks, and that's playing into Kirk Cousins' success. So what is it that defenses can do to slow down or make more difficult a Kubiak offense? Like, are are defenses going to start figuring this out as we go down the road here? 
Well, I don't know if it's necessarily, you know, I think the personnel is the same. You have some stars throughout defenses throughout the league, but I think it's the coordinators. The coordinator's job is to figure out how to stop an offense. And, you know, it's just so amazing to watch Belichick every week figuring out how to stop an an offense that he's playing against. And, uh, you know, these defenses are going to have to figure out which one they want to try and beat. Do they want to try and stop the run? And, and let Kirk Cousins beat him, or, or are they going to try and, you know, hey, we're going to play zone and let, let the running back go. And I think that uh, most teams want to stop the run if you really look at it because if your line starts moving that ball and starts pounding on that defensive line and those linebackers, it's going to be a long, long day. And then you're bringing safeties down, and then, like you said, all the play-action stuff opens up. But I think that any team can win on any Sunday, and I think it's up to, uh, you know, you got a lot of great players in the NFL. And people want to say, well, we don't have the talent that this team has. Well, yeah, that could be true in, in certain parts of uh, a defense. But for the most part, you have the same talent. And it's up to those coaches to really bring the best out of your defense. And so it's going to be interesting to see uh, what happens with the Vikings. Because as you get deeper in the schedule and the people they play and, and going against Green Bay, I mean, I think Green Bay is going to be the big test for them. Sage, you still over there, buddy? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm still here. I'm, okay, uh, I wasn't sure if you fell asleep at the wheel. No, I, I, did, I did not. Uh, so, so <laughs> did he so pay Gus attention did, to meetings like this, Gus? Yeah, well, hey, I'm, I'm, no. just, I'm trying. I'm, I didn't know if you were going to go, Collar. So, uh, my question is this: Do you, do you remember certain styles of defenses? You know, when the Vikings, like in this past game against uh, against Detroit, they they got a little bit lucky. One of their D linemen went out uh, in that ball game, and then the Vikings really started heating up there. Seemed like uh, you know in the second half, and and do you think that uh, to me uh, lines that had you know big, really, really, really big guys, but then on third down could rush the passer gave this style of offense trouble because. They could stop the run and then get in third and longer situations and have the pass rushers that, you know, that I think that's always been the, the concern about this style of offense is the, uh, the line a lot of times a little bit smaller, more athletic, which allows them to run that outside zone. But can they hold up for, you know, 20, 25 passes a game in straight drop back? Did you have some of those same, uh, you know, thoughts when you played in this offense? Well, you know, since I, one of my favorite things to do was be friends with the linemen because the linemen were kind of my kind of guys, how I grew up. Uh, you know, they're all just, just salt-of-the-earth people. And Tommy Nalen, you know, I'll never forget when he would tell me, you know, we're playing against uh, whether it was Seattle or we were playing, we went and played the Ravens in the playoffs. And he'd always get a fever blister and he called it Sam Adams because he said, I would hate playing against Sam Adams because he's big, he's fast, he's strong. And, you know, if he's just fast, I can play against him. If he's just big and he's not fast, then I know what to do. But he's all three. And so I think really to stop that style of offense where you got a great run game, you got a great pass game, and you got weapons out there, then you got to have guys in the middle that just can hold up, play the run, and you, where you're not putting five and six guys uh, committed to the run every time. You're playing a normal defense. DBs can sit back and, and sit on routes because – you have pass rushers that can get to the quarterback in those long down and distances. And so if, if you have a great mix, I think that's how you stop a, an offense like that is what you said, Sage. You've got to have big guys in the middle who are strong and fast, and then you've got to have pass rushers that can come in and, and wreak havoc on, on a quarterback and make him move in a pocket and make him check down all the time. Because when we played those good teams that had those types of guys, those D, DBs just sat on every route. And you didn't have time to wait for him to get 50 yards downfield. 
and you were and end up throwing, you know, behind the chains all the time. You're never getting those plus 15, those plus 20 throws. Talking with Gus Farad here on Purple Daily. Gus, I'm curious. I don't know how many Vikings games you've gotten to see, but it always amazes me that Mike Zimmer, year to year, we go into training camp and we all write these stories. Well, we're a little worried about the depth at this position, or maybe this guy's going to fall off. And then year after year, they have great defenses. Usually teams, they have their defenses kind of go up and down, and maybe it depends on luck or maybe it depends on schedule or something like that. But Zimmer has been so consistent through his career. Why do you think that is? Because he's a great defensive coach, and he understands schemes, and he understands talent, and he understands who needs to be where. I mean, you know, be where they are on, on the field, and he's not going to put, put somebody out of position. I mean, you've seen Bill Belichick throw receivers in uh, playing in slot positions, uh, covering their slot receivers on the other side, because he knew that that's what I needed at that point. And it seems like Zimmer really understands that philosophy and it doesn't hurt to have good players um like like he has like like the vikings have right now but when you have a coach that understands little things little schemes and under can watch enough film and and break down tendencies that you know if if a tight end is is up on the ball if he's off there's different tendencies and i think one of the things that zimmer really understands is having smart players is that when you watch film you understand it and that knowledge of watching that film carries over onto the field so that you're just not playing with your pure talent. Now you're playing with your talent and your smarts. Well, and speaking of smart coaches, uh, you know, can we talk about Mike Shanahan for a second? Because I do find it interesting. Here's a coach you played for in Denver. Gary Kubiak was the coordinator. And we're sort of coming full circle. Did you see you know, anything in particular about that style of offense that may have been different than the other offenses and offensive coordinators you played in the NFL that has somehow spurned from Kubiak to Kyle Shanahan and now Sean McVay and Matt LaFleur, this coaching tree that's having a ton of success currently in the NFL? Was there anything specifically different about the way Shanahan went about things? Was it details? Was it just scheme? Was it you know how he saw players? What, what, what may have made him different? Well, I think Coach Shanahan was different because obviously he had a scheme. He stuck to it. Uh, I didn't necessarily fit into that scheme great when I went there. I was more of a, you know, I came from the digit system, big play action. Uh, you know, that West Coast was a little different for me. It was harder to catch on. But Coach Shanahan kind of figured it out with me that when I got in and I had to play, when Brian Greasy, um, when we shared time or whatever it was, that, you know, some of my strengths were were big play action, throwing comebacks, throwing digs, throwing corner routes, um, those types of things. And then, uh, you know, but in that system, you're really trying to find the weakness of the defense. And the hardest part for me was the language. I think that all the stuff is the same, but in Coach Shanahan's system, and I don't know if it's still the same way with Cal running it or Coobs running it, but, you know, sometimes, Sage, you know this, there's 16, 17 words you got to say in the huddle. And to me, it was absolutely insane. I got to tell everybody what to do. <laughs> yeah, Mike was Mike was a genius with that, and then he just put people around him who believed in him, believed in his system, and then try to uh, keep those players and attract those players that play really well in that type of system. And I think Kirk Cousins fits that kind of system perfectly. Well, and, and I know there were some differences. You know, when you were playing for Shanahan, just the same play was, you know, double right, fake uh, fake uh, 18, uh, reach, quarterback, keep left, whatever. And ours is just double right, fake 18, keep left. It, we, we simplified so many things. And fake 18, handoff, quarterback, keep left, I think is what they called it. And we just said fake 18, keep left. So we definitely 
cl- uh, uh, trimmed off some of the fat of that wording. But yeah, and there, yet there were still some massively long play calls. Oh yeah, and it, it's it's tough, you know, when when they're trying to figure out what play to call, and you're standing in the huddle, and you're going, okay, we got 15 seconds left. Let's see if we can get this out, and then get up and be able to read the defense and do all that. But it's amazing what your mind can do. Um, you know, I had to work extremely hard coming from a digit system and then going to the West Coast to learn all that stuff with, with Coops grinding on me and Pat grinding on me and, and uh, all the people there saying, you've got to mem- rem- remember these plays because you want to get to the point where you're Steve Young. And I'm like, look, I'm never going to be Steve Young. I'm, you're not going to tell me one word or one formation, and I'm going to remember the whole play because that's really how the West Coast is designed. That The formation we have this week, we have one play off of it. And it's it's insane to me that that Steve was you know had that kind of memory and could do that kind of thing, but uh, for me, I needed a wristband to to really remember some of those plays. Uh, Gus, before we let you go, each week, as Sage mentioned, we have our journeyman quarterback of the week. So I feel like you should have a nomination here. Why don't you give us another journeyman that you played with in Washington? You've got some good options here, including Sage, if you want him, uh, and, and then tell us a little story about. Um, that other journeyman. I was just looking this up. You've got some gems here. You got Jeff Hostetler that was on the same team with you. I mean, there's all sorts of guys. So give us give us our journeyman oh, quarterback yeah. of the week. I, mean, I had Jeff Hostetler, Casey Weldon, a bunch Casey of guys Weldon. that I played with, and and um, uh, you know, one story about Jeff. Jeff was a guy that I looked up to when he came in. I don't think he had the juice in his arm left anymore, but you know, he was a hard worker, good player, and. I really just sat there and asked him questions every day about what it was like playing with the Raiders and the Giants, going to the Super Bowl and, and doing a lot of those things. And, and uh, one thing that Jeff and I really had in common was we both loved to be pranksters. He was a prankster in a locker room. I love to prank people. I've pranked a lot of guys in my time. Um, you know, uh, I just did a podcast with Morton Anderson talking about how, you know, I froze all his clothes up in Minnesota when he came and kicked for the Vikings back in the day. And, <laughs> And then the next thing I know, all my clothes were out of my locker room and over the goalpost, frozen over the goalpost before practice. And I had nothing to wear. And, and D. Ryan had to get me some some uh, clothes that didn't necessarily fit for practice. But Jeff told me a story about how he pranked Howie Long. And uh, he said, what I did was I got um, a license plate um made up in california it said honk if you're gay and he put it on howie's car and he said he followed howie home but howie didn't know it and all these people are honking at howie down the road and howie's just waving out the window and so like that was like one of my favorite stories of how to prank somebody uh there's a lot more that i could go into but um you know it you know that's just the thing about the nfl is that you got a brotherhood you got a lot of people and it's just amazing you know, some of the things that, that you go through with these people because you're there every day. And to really, um, to be all business every day, um, it's, it's hard to do because now the NFL is definitely all year long. And so you got to have some fun and you got to bring some levity in the locker room and, and um, create, create relationships sometimes where there may not be some. Well, Jeff Hostetler, uh, I'm still mad at him for holding on to the ball when Bruce Smith sacked him in the end zone in the uh, Super Bowl. You remember I'm from Buffalo, Gus, so not right, not right. super thrilled about how that Super Bowl went. Um, but uh, Well, there's probably a few kickers you're not happy with either. So. Oh, yeah, well, uh, that's that's why Minnesota was such a fit for me, Gus, because it's like, oh, you guys got problems with kickers? Let's sit down and talk. 
Um, well, Gus, it's always <laughs> it's always great to have you on. I know, uh, Sage, for you, it's a thrill to have another journeyman anytime we have one on, right? Well, I, I tell you what, and and to have this you know recent talk about like with, you know, with Adrian Peterson's issues and maybe some teammates didn't like him uh, or he didn't work hard. Um, Gus Ferrat, I played with him for one year with Nick Saban, with Jason Garrett as our quarterbacks coach. Uh, we had a, a term, we had a nine and seven. We were, I think, three and seven, and, and one like six in a row to go nine and seven. And uh, and he left, and I both left. We have a year of Nick Saban together, and and I saw Gus Ferrat lead our football team. He was our starter. Uh, he played his tail off. He had a huge arm. He was tough as nails, and and he was a little bit. He was obviously older than me, and so you know during the off season of which with Nick Saban is you know basically putting yourself through hell. Uh, Gus was keeping up uh, with this young guy over here who could run run a little bit uh, into some of those sprints, and so he was an extremely hard worker. Guys really liked him as a teammate, and because uh, Gus really cared. And Gus had a high expectation for us to win, and and he played really, really good football that season. Yeah, well, well, thanks for that, Sage. And you know, one of my things I always tell people about Miami is, yeah, we may not have been perfect, but we did have two guards pull and run into each other on one play. So that <laughs> might be why we didn't go to the playoffs that year. Oh, I'll man. never forget that play. Uh, Gus Ferrat, make sure you check out his uh, his new work, his new podcast, Huddle Up with Gus. Uh, some very cool stuff there. Gus, uh, we'll have you on again, man. Thanks for coming on, buddy. Nah, I appreciate it. Yeah, and if you can find another journeyman, I think he's still playing, actually, Fitzy. So that's going to have oh, more man. teams than you for me. But, uh, and uh, I think maybe Kate, the only other one, right? I don't know, uh, but uh, there's a few of us out there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, they're out there. A rare, a rare breed, though. Thanks, Gus. All right. Thanks, guys. Ryan, tell you Ryan Fitzpatrick is like our white whale. Like we need to Man. get Ryan Fitzpatrick on the show. Yeah, well, probably after his career, he's got a lot going on. He ran over somebody last week. Gus Ferrat, <laughs> by the way, Washington, <laughs> Detroit, Denver, Cincinnati, Minnesota, Miami, St. Louis, and back to Minnesota. Man. And now lives in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which I believe he grew up in that area. And, so, and even though uh, I gave him the pick, still a great pick with Jeff Hostetler for the that uh, that was a great training. pick. But it doesn't really uh, match our. Uh, I think Jeff Hostel only played for three teams. Oh. Though you could say the it says Los Angeles slash Oakland, uh, which he had to move. So you could actually probably get him in with a, with with that. I and guess it's all part of the journey. Certainly has his uh, his shining moment in all uh, part the of the Super journey. Bowl, I can't so. wait to talk about my journeyman quarterback. Okay, uh, well, of of Washington when well, we get to that uh, segment. All right. Well, we've got to take a break, and then you can give it, and you'll have like four minutes to do so, and then uh, that's the hour because we went along with Gus. Uh, we'll be right back here on Purple Daily. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts.